Welcome to this episode of the Greenville Oaks Message Broadcast. The Greenville Oaks Church of Christ seeks all who need Jesus and together are becoming His fully devoted followers, encouraging and equipping people to love God, love people, and serve others in an ever-growing way of life. Find out more about Greenville Oaks or connect with us online at greenvilleoaks.org. And now, on to this week's message with Lead Minister Colin Packer. If you have your Bibles this morning, I want to invite you to open to uh, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 7. I want to read in a little bit, uh, verses 1 to 10 is the story that we'll spend time in. But before we get there, I want to remind us of the series that we're in. It's called The Gospel According to Luke, which is the name of the book as a whole that we're walking through the, the gospel. But gospel simply means good news, and Luke has a good news message he's trying to share. And his message is that those who find themselves on the outside are finding their way in because of what Jesus is coming to do. And that's a struggle for those on the inside, those uh, Jewish people who've always been the people of God, to realize that that extension goes beyond the boundaries that had been before. You know, we forget how radical the message of Jesus is. Because Jesus has changed our world so much. Followers of Jesus have walked in his path that all that he did that was so radical then seems so normal now. We talked last week about Dr. Jesus, who uh, is here for the sick, and there's hospitals that are set up in his name. That wasn't something something that happened before Jesus lived on planet Earth. People giving all their lives to care for those who weren't family, who weren't friends, but being places of healing for the sake of others. But it's not just hospitals. There's so many things that changed as a result of Jesus' life on planet Earth. Mercy and humility were seen as signs of weakness, things you didn't want to be described by, but following the life of Jesus, mercy is what Christians give out to others and and receive ourselves. And humility is what we try to seek as we live out the way of Jesus. Before Jesus, uh, a lot of things were different. Gentiles were not included in the people of God. Uh, Women were not valuable or seen that way. Children were not uh, seen as valuable. They were often discarded. I go on and on about the ways that the world is different because of Jesus' impact on planet earth. And today, Jesus' message seems tame, and the reason that is is because the world has changed so much as a result of the way that Christians have tried to live that out. So this morning, the challenge is to communicate the radical nature of Jesus' message when it sounds so normal to us. So I want to need your imagination this morning, and I know you have it because these kids that were on stage a minute ago are often doing Fortnite dances, and, and, uh, and some of us, we root for our favorite sports teams and jump off the couch when a touchdown happens, and some of you... You, uh, you cry when your favorite television show comes on stage. You're imagining a world, and it makes an impact. The same is true of what Scripture can do to us if we bring our imaginations to it, and if we see how Jesus' Word makes a difference today. So use your imaginations. Let's pray, though, before we get to the Word this morning. God, we thank you so much for Jesus and the way he's changed our world, and for the fact that we would have once been outsiders as Gentiles ourselves, but we have been brought close. We have been grafted into this branch. You have invited us to be a part of your message and your kingdom, and we thank you. This morning, I pray you'd pour through me the gift of preaching, that Christ would be formed in our hearts. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. 
Turn with me to Luke 7, verses 1 and following. Listen to the story. Use your imaginations with me. When Jesus had finished saying all this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. There, a centurion servant, whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him. This man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself. For I did not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one go and he goes. I tell this one come and he comes. I say to my servant do this and he does it. When Jesus heard this he was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd following me he said I tell you I've not found such great faith even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. In America, in the 21st century, we honor soldiers and veterans. We honor them at sporting events, on airplanes, with holidays. Most people honor and respect the service of surface men and women, deservedly so. And that's why this story doesn't seem so odd. So I need you to use your imagination with me this morning. Put yourself in the shoes of Jewish believers in the first century. You don't have any army because you were living under occupation by foreign forces. Your army was once great. In fact, you were told stories as a kid about the victories of David and his mighty men. You were told stories about the Canaanites being defeated by your army. You were told stories about Jericho and Ai and all of those Philistines that had been defeated on the way to the promised land. But those victory stories are not recent stories. In fact, there really aren't any living legends who were heroes on the battlefield. Those were of times past stories that were told. So any soldier that you see walking around isn't a man that you think for their military service in honor of the nation of Israel. Every soldier who walks around is a living reminder that you were disempowered. Those soldiers are there to protect others, not so much you. So no, you don't pay for a soldier's meal. You were required by law to uh, carry the pack of a soldier if you were asked in Roman times. And this pesky command of Jesus was, don't just carry it one mile, actually take it a second mile. And I'm sure that would have hacked off a few people in that day as well. Soldiers in those days for the Jews weren't people to revere and respect. They were reminders of your disempowerment. Now, that takes a lot of imagination for most of us because that's not how we think of soldiers. So let me continue to add to your imagination. This centurion in Luke 7 isn't a Jew and neither are his soldiers. He and his men are there an occupying force from a foreign army in order to make sure that you pay up as you should. They were the military muscle for the tax collectors, the most despised characters in any Jewish town. They showed up when you didn't hand over your taxes as you should have. In fact, this centurion and his soldiers could have been present with Levi And his tax collector and center friends, they might have been part of the others group that was described there at the banquet that Levi held for Jesus that day. I'm not sure it's possible. And just because he had helped finance the building of the synagogue, which seems like he's a God-fearing Jew in light of part of the details of this story, we know from those times that Emperor Augustus commanded his troops to build temples for the places where they were posted, regardless of the gods that were being worshipped there. 
Why? Well, because the Romans made use of local religion as much as they could. That's why Herod rebuilt the temple that had been torn down, that the Jewish people had revered for all these centuries. Solomon's temple had been uh, fallen into disrepair, and it was Herod himself who was helping with the rebuilding. And it seems that this view of uh, Roman soldiers didn't change in the early uh, centuries of the church. There was not a single Christian writer in the first 300 years of Christianity who said that Christians should serve in Rome's military. Nowhere in the written record of the first 300 years of Christianity is killing ever justified, not even for soldiers. The early church fathers, Tertullian, Origen, and others are consistent on this perspective. In fact, this may be hard to believe, but if you wanted to be baptized in the early church, there were several jobs you actually had to quit before they would allow you to be baptized. And within that list were military officers, charioteers, and gladiators. Now, this kind of thinking is obviously a minority position in the modern American church. That's the challenge of this series I'm trying to get across to you. What Jesus did is so abnormal that it was radical then, and it's no longer radical now, because the healing of centurion's servant is like the equivalent of a Jewish doctor uh, at Auschwitz healing the assistant of a German Nazi commander. But why would you do a thing like that? Why would you aid the enemy? But Jesus isn't interesting in following his culture's norms. He's representing a kingdom, a different kind of kingdom. He is God in the flesh living out a different agenda. And so last week's sermon about Jesus' willingness to share table with tax collectors and sinners is just as odd a story as this one. It's like the good Samaritan. No one expects at the end of that story for the Samaritan to be the good guy. In the same way that is in this story, no one expects for Jesus to include in his followers a centurion working for the Romans. It'd be interesting for our small groups, in fact, this week as you're meeting to discuss that. What's the equivalent of what was in the first century, Jesus including the centurion to modern groups that might be just as shocking. This is the constant story of the gospel, though, is God's inclusion of the other. And that's what this story is about. You think back to 2 Kings chapter 5. It's a story about a military commander. It's a Syrian, this general of the Assyrian army, Naaman, who comes down with leprosy. And Jesus told this story, remember, at the synagogue sermon in Luke 4. And that's why they want to throw him off a cliff, because he says, you've helped outsiders before. And then in Acts 10, if you keep reading in the sequel of the story of the gospel of Luke, In Acts 10, you come to the story about another centurion, a guy named Cornelius, who was invited and actually the first Gentile with his family and his household to be baptized into the family of God from outside. But here's what's true. Every time we follow the story in the gospel of Luke, when the people of God follow God, they include people who will upset the religious establishment. Just a constant in this gospel. And again, we lose sight of this because we're so used to hearing about this radical message and things have so changed, but this is a radical thing in these days. But this story is about more than Jesus' gracious granting of the request of a centurion. This is a story about words and their power. This is a story about authority. It's a, a story about the power of a word spoken. It's a story about the chain of command. Listen again to verse 8. The centurion gets this. It's his world. For I myself, he says, am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. See, every centurion, that makes sense. The idea of century, right? A hundred years. Every centurion had a hundred men under his control. Every centurion had a hundred men under their command. And the centurion had the command over these men to where if he would say a word to them, then they had to do what he told them to do. And, And if someone else who was above the centurion told them to do something, then they would have to follow, he would have to follow their command. He understood authority 
and authority gets authority. The centurion recognized the authority of Jesus. And that's the most remarkable part of the story. Here's a guy who understands authority and he is placing himself under the authority of Jesus. who he knows has the power to heal. Some of you, you're in positions of control. You're in positions of authority in places where you can tell people to do things and they do them. But all of us, no matter how powerful we might be in our area of influence, come under situations where we have no control. And that's exactly what the centurion is falling under here. Is he doesn't have any control over the situation. He needs King Jesus to help. And what's remarkable about the story beyond that is, I think this is the only miracle story where Jesus isn't close by to the person that he ends up healing. He's not in the room. There is the story of Lazarus where Lazarus is in the tomb and he's out and has to call him out. But other than that, and help me, uh, Bible uh, students out there, if you know of one, I'd love to hear it. I've been searching this week, but it's amazing. He heals him while he's not even present with him. It's just a word spoken. So for the rest of this sermon, and I want to key in on one verse in this passage. It's in verse seven. Let me read this to you again. Luke 7, verse 7. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you in the second half, but say the word, and my servant will be healed. Words are powerful. Words have the power to create or destroy. You know this because you've had words spoken into your life at different seasons, words of death and destruction, lies spoken over you from time to time. And sometimes we begin to believe those and take on different identities. I love that our kids are singing about who God says we are rather than the words that are spoken over us, right? Wish I'd gotten that sooner. But if some of you have had words, powerful words spoken over you, words of blessing, words of promise, words of a future, words of the gifts that you have, and those words have set you on a course. Words have power. And if you think about the story of creation, the story of scripture, words have power. The most powerful word is not a word spoken over us by another person or human being. It's the power of the word spoken by God. With just a word, God creates the heavens and the earth. God speaks and creation obeys. With just a word, there is light. With just a word, there is day and there is night. With just a word, there is a separation between the land and the sea. With just a word, sun, moon, and stars. With just a word, there are animals and humans. And later, words are spoken that transform everything again. It's at Mount Sinai, Exodus chapter 20. If you have your Bibles, flip there with me real quickly to Exodus 20, verse 1. I just want you to pay attention to this first line before it even gets into... The Ten Commandments as we know them. It's actually not Ten Commandments in the Hebrew. It's ten words that God gives to Israel. This is what it says in Exodus 20 verse 1. And God spoke all these words. The Hebrew word for spoke and for words is actually the same root it's coming from. It's the word devar, which means word or spoken. So in other words, uh, chapter 20 verse 1 actually says God worded all these words. I love that. How's Jesus referred to in John chapter 1? Do you remember? John 1 verse 1 and following. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. Drop down to verse 14. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. When God chose to reveal himself on planet earth, he made a word become flesh. God's clearest word ever spoken to us is Jesus. And think about the power of Jesus' words. 
Jesus speaks a word and lame people walk. Jesus speaks a word and the bellies of 5,000 men and many more likely there with them were filled. Jesus speaks a word and dead bones are brought to life. Jesus speaks a word and the storms on the sea are calmed. Jesus speaks the word, it is finished and it is done. And Jesus speaks and restores Peter with a word. And in the end, the word made flesh, Jesus brings a new covenant to replace the 10 words that has been spoken on Mount Sinai with a new word, a new covenant, a word of grace, a word of hope, a word of a new heart that had been placed within us. So that now Jesus is the new word God speaks that overcomes and replaces all the other words right now in our lives. We either recognize this word and its power or we don't. The centurion recognized the power of Jesus' spoken word. He understood the authority that Jesus had that could change and transform everything. The centurion needs healing for his servant. And so he sends his friends to Jesus to say this. Again, Luke 7, verse 7, the second half. This man, wrong verse. But say the word and my servant will be healed. Just say the word. Now that takes faith, doesn't it? Not to need Jesus to show up in the room, not to touch anybody who's in the room and the servant, just to say, just say the word and the sickness can be healed. Don't worry about coming under my roof. I'm unworthy. I don't need you to come anywhere near me. Just say the word and it will happen. In the end, Jesus affirms his faith. Listen again to verse nine. When Jesus heard this, He was amazed at him and turning to the crowd following, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. The centurion of all people is held up as this exemplar of somebody that has faith greater than anyone else that Jesus ever saw in his ministry in Israel. This statement is surprising, right? This is like the punchline of the good Samaritan. Are you kidding me? A Samaritan is the one who's the one who helped in this scene. Yeah. Yeah. Outsiders in the story of Luke are the ones who, always seem to be getting it. In the same way in this one, you're telling me a centurion of all people has the most faith in Jesus? Says, Absolutely. How many of you, how many of you could speak a word and, and say, that's enough. That's all you need from me is Jesus is a word spoken. It's a word of hope to us also. And I want you to hear this. This is a beautiful thing. Again, I think this is the only story where Jesus heals without being present at the scene with somebody who he's healing. And I want you to think about the, the, the first century church when this is written, probably 70s, 80s AD, when Luke is written. It'd be in the 60s. But during this time, there are very few people who were eyewitnesses of Jesus. Like Luke had done his homework and he talked to eyewitnesses. There may have been a few in the community that were there that saw him after the resurrection, that saw his nail-scarred hands and his, his feet, but... This centurion is an example. He's an exemplar. He's a reminder to us that you don't have to have Jesus present in the room for healing to come into your life. That that a word spoken in faith and believed is more powerful because Jesus' power is not limited by his presence available with us in the person, in the flesh. You remember what Jesus said. It's good that I go away. Why? So that the Holy Spirit can come to you and you'll see even greater things than these. It's remarkable, isn't it? I don't know what that means, but all I know is I want to be a part of a church that believes that and, and is able to, in faith, pray bold prayers. And at this point, I want to stop and I want to make a caveat, but I'm not going to call this a caveat. I'm going to call this a confession. Okay. The caveat I always give in these healing sermons is, but there's nothing we can say that forces God to bring healing in our lives. So if the healing doesn't come, we still have faith in God, right? We, We sing a song. If 
about, about Daniel, right? What's the song, Mike? I should know this one. <laughs> Anybody? What's the song? Even if, even if the healing doesn't come, right? We put our trust in you. And that's the prayer that Daniel and his friends, and that's a sermon for another day. And some of you, that's the song you need to hang on to today. But all too often, I'm just confessing at this point, not caveating. I'm confessing that I try to protect us from bold prayers because I don't want us to find disappointment on the other side. And there, there are just times where you have to, when you're, you have no other hope, where you have no control in a situation, where you, you have to put your trust in the word that's spoken and Jesus' word over your life, that, that only in him is healing possible. Some of us this, this morning need to be able to have the faith that we can, in faith, pray bolder prayers than we've been willing to pray. Because we're scared that if we put too much hope forward, if our expectation's too high, then it could crash our faith in those that we love. But this is a story that reminds us that healing didn't stop in the first century. It didn't stop with Jesus. Like the, that's the story of Acts, is that the early church is continuing to do this. And we know that greater things will happen through those who have the Holy Spirit. We, it's better that Jesus goes so that the Holy Spirit can come. So this morning, I don't know what healing needs to happen in your life. And I know some of you are in the room and you're dealing with the fact that healing didn't come. And, and, and I don't know what to tell you. I want to be pastoral, but... Sometimes the healing that needs to happen in our lives is the mourning and realizing that blessed are those who mourn because they'll be comforted. So some, some of you, the word that you need to speak is, God, I'm mourning right now. I'm expressing my grief to you. I need the promise of your comfort that I don't feel as of yet. But others of you, there's diagnoses. There's people in your life that you care for deeply, that you desire for healing to come. And just like any father or mother would not want their children to be quiet, about the things they desire most, our Heavenly Father wants the same out of us. So this morning, I want to create a space at the end of our service. In fact, if I could ask our prayer leaders in the back that uh, usually are back there to receive you, I want to ask them to come up uh, to the front parts of the room. And uh, I'm going to say a prayer as we close this morning. But as we leave, I just I want to open up an invitation for you to come if healing is needed in your life, whether that's healing from sin, whether that's relational healing that needs to happen in your marriage, whether that's a physical healing that you want to pray for today. I, I just, this song and this, this text reminds me that we're supposed to say the word in faith and let God do what God will do. And we're a church that wants to pray those prayers with you and not always caveat and not always caution, but to be able to step into that and ask what God will do. And so that this morning at the end of the service, you'd like to come forward for prayer. There'll be uh, prayer leaders It'll be at the front of the room. I'll be up here as well if you'd like to pray over something going on in your life. We just want to pray for God to bring the healing that only God can bring. We know there's a lot of places in our lives that need that. Amen? Uh, so make, take advantage of that. Write that prayer on the card if you want to. Also, that's another way that our prayer team would love to lift that up. But we want to pray this morning for healing. So right now I want to pray for us. Um, and I want to create a space also for you to say your prayers this morning. God, we, we come before you in, in awe of the faith of the centurion. God, I know that there are people this morning who are in deep pain. They have people that they love deeply. And when we love deeply, that means we grieve deeply. It means that we are hurt when those around us hurt. And so, God, I pray for each and every situation that is being considered in the room this morning, whether that's mourning and needing of healing for sin in our lives, whether that's the need for healing to come from the loss we've experienced where your prayers weren't, our prayers weren't answered in the way we had hoped, or whether that is a bold prayer of faith that we've been cautious not to pray, that we want to pray this morning. I want to ask that you would do what only you can do through the power of your spirit that you promise is still at work 
in our lives today. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead, raised Lazarus from the grave, that causes dead bones to rise, that causes storms to be stilled, that same power in your Holy Spirit, I believe, is still at work today. So God, we, uh, some of us are going to take risks this morning. We're going to take risks to pray prayers that we're a little scared to pray, God, but we know nowhere else to turn this morning and to your provision, and to your care, and to your healing, and to your work. God, I pray if that's what's needed today, that you would come and pray for that healing, that we would be able to see your wonders in this day as well. But God, right now, I just create this space for whoever would like to speak out, God, in this time, and their silent prayers, that they would lift up right now in this space to you, their prayer for healing, however it needs to come in their life. God, would you hear our prayers this morning? Father, for every prayer that's been uttered, you know the number of hairs on that person's head. You know the desire for relationship you have that's been broken. You know the tears that have been shed. You actually hold on to those tears and you keep them, God, which is a gift to us. And we long for the day where those tears won't be necessary anymore, but we live in the midst of a world where we still need healing. And I know that's your will, God, in the end is to bring us all to restoration and to reconciliation with you. So God, the prayers that we pray today, I pray you'd hear them and that you would move and we would get to testify to your wonders even in this day. We pray this in the name of Jesus. And everyone who agrees says, Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from the Greenville Oaks Message Broadcast. We hope this message helps you in your walk to find real significance in Jesus. We invite you to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or Stitcher, wherever you get your podcast. Discover more about the Greenville Oaks Church online at greenvilleoaks.org.